Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How are we doing? We good? How many of you have already had a cup of coffee today? How many of you have had more than three cups of coffee today? More than five. More than, okay, just so there's two of you that I need to see after this then. Uh, Hey, we're glad that you're here today. My name's Jeremy, if I haven't had the chance to meet you. But we're thankful that you're here today on this Sunday. We're always glad that you come to be with us here at Canton Church. Today's a great day. It's Baptism Sunday. So at the end of this service, we're going to baptize some folks, or at least one folk, I think. And then in the next service, we got a bunch of folks as well that are being baptized. So we're excited about that. We're thankful for that. We are uh, always excited when we get to see people go public with their faith through water baptism. And so you heard a little bit about it just a minute ago. Let me just kind of say also, I want you here next Sunday for Vision Sunday. I really need you here for, for Vision Sunday next Sunday. It's going to be a, a great day where Corey and I get the, the chance, my wife Corey and I get the chance to share um, what's on our heart and what we believe that the Lord has kind of uh, directed us for this next season of our church. But it's not just about our church, it's also about you and the role that you play here in our church. We're going to talk about the new space that we're taking over, which is downstairs on the front side of this building, which used to be Sears. Um, so we're going to take over that entire space here through the end of this year and into next year. So we're going to talk about how you can be a part of that financially, even helping us with some of the renovations and things. But I promise you, we're going to talk about some stuff that we haven't shared publicly other than with a small group of people. Um, it's going to be the first time we kind of announced that live. If you're not here, you're going to regret it the rest of your life. That's all I'll say. I don't want to oversell it. I don't want to oversell it, but I am saying you will hate yourself. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I know. I, I don't know. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, but we're glad that you're here today for today and then next Sunday's Vision Sunday. The other thing that we're going to do next week that's a little different than what we normally do, uh, we offer the first and third Sunday of every month a thing called Canton Life. We believe that's your best next step into life here at Canton Church. And so next Sunday, we're going to offer it twice. We always offer it on the first and third Sunday at 10 o'clock, so that's during this service. So we invite you to come be a part of it during 10 o'clock. You can come to the 8.30 or the 11.30 service and then attend Canton Life at 10 if you want to be with us. Then next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to offer something we're calling Mega Canton Life. If you can't make the Sunday morning thing work, we'd love to invite you to come to Mega Canton Life next Sunday night. One hour, we'll take care of your kids if you've got kids. But we believe that it's important for you, even as you're hearing about the church next week and the vision and where we're headed in the future, um, we believe it's important for you to know a little bit more about us and for us to get a chance to know more about you. There are hundreds of new people that have started coming to our church over the last few months, and we would love to get to know you a little better and really to help you take some next steps here into the life of Canton Church. And so we want you to go next Sunday at 10 o'clock or at 6 o'clock to one of the two offerings of Canton Life. Uh, We really believe it's important for you, so go register online and be a part that. Today, not only is it Baptism Sunday, but I am excited because we start this new series called What I'd Tell You Over Coffee. And over the last few months as I was preparing for this series of sermons, uh, we kind of set the tone for where we're going to head with some series uh, of sermons and things like that months in advance. And then obviously as we continue to pray and prepare, some of that changes and shifts a little bit. And so I really felt like there were a few sermons and few topics that we needed to address as a church. And so we were going to call them some different things. Like I love food. I wanted to call it like what I'd tell you over Mexican food. But I thought that would be a little bit misleading and make us hungry all series long. So we decided not to do that. We do offer coffee, but I felt like if we named the series like that, we'd have to offer fajitas too in the lobby, and that would be a real pricey thing. So then I thought, okay, what if I don't call it that? What if I call it like, um, if I only had one more sermon to preach? But my wife felt like that was a little morbid, and so we didn't want to call it that. She was like, please don't, don't say that. So then I was like, okay, well, what if we called it like, if you could only go to church one more time? 
And she was like, well, no, because then they may take you up on that if you don't preach really well. And I was like, well, that's a little pressure. So um, anyway, so this is where we landed, what I'd tell you over coffee. And we are providing coffee, as we always do. So um, here's the deal about coffee. I am not, uh, I haven't been a coffee drinker my whole adult life. I didn't drink coffee as a kid or as a teenager. I didn't start drinking coffee in college when some of my friends started drinking coffee. Um, I didn't really start drinking coffee even out of college uh, as like a young adult. Um, we started having kids kind of early, though. And then in 2011, I went back to seminary to get my master's. And that was a pivotal time, pivotal season in our life, because in 2011, for those that were around or those that know our story, that's also the year that we began launching this church. Um, we also, at that point in 2011, we had our fourth child. So we had four children under six launching a church, and I was like, I got nothing to do. Let me go to seminary. And so that's the season that I started drinking coffee. Because I started robbing sleep to do schoolwork. So I'd get up really early in the morning or stay up really late at night, and I'd work on school. So I started drinking coffee, and, uh, and I started drinking pretty much just a cup of cream with a little coffee. And then I've worked my way back now where I pretty much drink it black most of the time. Uh, but I, I do enjoy a good cup of coffee. I, I asked this question a minute ago. How many are in a different way? How many of you are coffee drinkers? You say, I'm a coffee drinker. All right, good, that's good, that's good. All right, so you'll be on my side of heaven. Uh, the rest of you, how many of you say, I'm not a coffee drinker? There's no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. There's a little something wrong with you, but I don't understand it. Um, so you're not alone. Here's some statistics that I just ran across related to coffee drinkers. 64% of adults in the United States drink at least one cup of coffee every day. Um, then the average coffee drinker consumes not just a cup of coffee, 2.7 cups of coffee a day. How many of you think you raised that average? Like you're a three, four, five, eight cup a day or, okay, all right. Uh, the, the approximate coffee usage in America, 150 million Americans drink about 400 million cups of coffee a day, which is more than 140 billion cups of coffee per year. That's a lot of coffee. And then I ran across this one, and I thought this was a little disturbing. I hope all these people go to other churches. 31% um, of coffee drinkers make coffee the most important part of their morning. That's great. Brewing a cup before most any of their other morning behaviors. But listen to this. 52% of coffee drinkers would forego a shower to make time for their morning cup of joe. Let me just say, if you're in the 52%, just wake up five minutes earlier and do both is really what I'm challenging you about today. If you got to choose, for you, choose coffee. For us, choose showers. Like, I just feel like that would be better for all of us. But here's the deal. Our church is at the point now where it would be uh, next to impossible for me to sit down and have coffee with everybody in our church, or I would be the most overly caffeinated person in town. Uh, but I did feel like over these next few weeks, I could just share with you some things that are on my heart and some things that the Lord has been directing me to in Scripture that I believe impact all of us. And so that's really where we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks. It's just some, some things that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart uh, for us as a church. Uh, last year, I got to spend about 24 hours with leadership expert, guru, author John Maxwell. And it was a, an unbelievable experience. He's been a mentor from afar, really my whole adult life. I've read almost, I think, everything he's ever written. And I was invited to come to a gathering with about 75 pastors and leaders at the Ritz-Carlton downtown Atlanta and then at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which was awesome, uh, just to 24 hours to hear him. And one of the things that he described, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in a few minutes, but one of the things that he described as the most frustrating human experience outside of something that's very, uh, you know, like a huge experience like death or, or disease, but a just very normal, frustrating human experience for a human being is 
to lose something that you know you had in your possession like just a minute ago, right? So you walk in the house, you take your keys, you always hang them on the hook, or you always lay them on the island, or you always whatever, and then when you go to leave to go to the grocery store later, they're not there, and, it, and they're lost, and you don't know where they went because you always, always put those things right in the same spot. I can relate to this. My kids love to play a game called Hide Dad's Keys. Um, sometimes it's not even them. I'm just evidently playing that game with myself, but I don't know. I blame them. Most of the, Where did you put my key? Why do we have your keys? We can't drive. I don't know, but I know where I put my keys. But losing something is really frustrating in the human experience because we know we had it. And so today I want to talk for just a few minutes about this idea of lost and found. Lost and found. And to do so, I want us to spend all of our time, with the exception of one verse of Scripture, I want to spend all the rest of our time in one chapter of Scripture. So I'd love for you to go with me there to that place. It's in Luke chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, you've got a, a smartphone, device, whatever, you can just go to Luke chapter 15 in your favorite Bible app because we're going to spend all of our time there. Luke 15, to set some context, Jesus is telling some stories to some of his followers and then a fringe crowd that aren't really followers yet but are trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's all about. And in Luke chapter 15, he tells three different stories that are kind of different, but also kind of the same. And so in Luke 15, he starts by telling this story about a lost sheep. Now, I'm not a shepherd, I'm not a farmer, and so that wouldn't necessarily get my attention, but to the audience that he was talking to, the idea of losing a sheep would be something that captured their attention. And they would have been able to relate to the fact that sometimes sheep wander off, sometimes the enemy or some other animal would come and, and, and take a sheep or, or kill a sheep. So this was something that would capture their attention because they would be very familiar with that. And so Jesus is telling this story about a lost sheep, and he says that there is a guy who has 100 sheep. And out of that 100 sheep, one day he notices that he no longer has 100 sheep, he only has 99. And he has one sheep that is missing. We don't know if it's wandered off, we don't know if it's been killed, we don't know what happened to it at the first part of the story. We just know he had 100, now he only has 99. Well, in my head, as someone who is not of that context, I'm just thinking, well, I mean, at least he's got 99 still, that's awesome, okay. But when Jesus is telling the story, he says, no, here's how that man responds, he leaves the 99 sheep where they are to go and find the one. So again, in my context, I'm thinking that makes absolutely no sense. I don't understand. Why would you leave 99 sheep? It doesn't say that he built a pen around them. It doesn't say that he had an apprentice shepherd that kept those 99 from wandering off themselves. It just says he left the 99 to go and find the one that was lost. And so when I'm reading through that, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, well, what happened? What's next? Well, we find out that he finds that one, and he doesn't just kind of use his staff to kind of whip that sheep as he's going back to the rest. I'm like, you never run off again, you crazy sheep. He doesn't say anything like that. He picks the sheep up, puts him around his neck, and carries him back to the other 99 so that now they are 100 again. And this is what it says in verse 7 of Luke chapter 15. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. All of a sudden, we're starting to see that Jesus had an intent in telling this story. It seems like he always did. He's not really talking about sheep. He's talking about people. And he's talking about lost people and found people. He's talking about people who need repentance, and he's talking about those righteous people who have already found repentance through an understanding and a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and desires for them to be. And he says that there will be more joy in heaven 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And when I was reading this several months ago in anticipation of our time today, I wrote this phrase down several months ago, knowing where we would land today, not knowing how the whole thing would come out, but making sure we get this point. Lost things matter to God. Lost things matter to God. As much as you love to find your lost keys, God loves finding lost people. Lost things matter to God. Lost people matter to God. And he goes after them. People are never a lost cause. He goes after them. The illustration, the story here, is that he doesn't just stay with the 99 and like, hey, whenever you're ready, other sheep, come back. Hey, you wandered off. Something caught your eye. You didn't want to stay with all of us and the safety and security of what I can provide you. I can make your life better. I lead you to water. I lead you in greener pastures. Have you not read the Psalms? Like, he doesn't say that. He leaves the 99, and he goes to get the one. He goes to get one. And then I read what we just read again, and I go, okay, more joy. More joy in heaven over, over one sinner? Now, as I think about the, the math that my children are doing in school now, and I reflect back on the math that I did in school, here's what I know. You're going to disagree with some things that I say in a few minutes. I think we're all in agreement on this. 99 is more than one. I think we can all agree on that. 99, always more than one until you get to geometry. Then they take the numbers away and they add shapes, and then it gets weird and it's not really math. But anyway, so 99 is always more than one. And yet, what Jesus tells us is that there's more joy for the one than for the 99. It's counterintuitive. It's like the same thing that happens throughout the Gospels when Jesus continues to confront what we assume about what it means to follow him, what we assume that it means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ and to live righteously. He takes it and he always flips it on its head and he says, oh, you always heard, you always thought, but here's what I say. You always assumed, but here's the actual truth. 99 is more than one, but there's more joy in one repentance act than there is in 99 people being righteous. So maybe I would say it this way. Repentance is more joyous in heaven than righteousness. Now, you might agree that 99 is more than one, but some of you are probably going to disagree with that statement. Repentance is more joyous in heaven than righteousness. Why? Because repentance is a change of state. Think about it. How joyful are you on a random Tuesday going to the same job that you've had for five years? I mean, unless it's payday, unless it's like a coworker's birthday and you get cake, it's just Tuesday. So you're not super excited. But what if that Tuesday was the day that you start a brand new job? It's a new job. It's a change of state. It's a new office with a new group of people you're working with, with a new cubicle, with like new office supplies and a new stapler and a new thing and a new, like, there's a change of state. And so the idea here is that the change of state, going from lost to foundness, going from death to life, Scripture calls it, brings more joy in heaven than 99 righteous people. And I got to be honest. I don't know that I agree with that. that. That challenges me. It hurts me. It convicts me a little bit. Because then I'm confronted with this question. What am I celebrating more? Am I celebrating more people continuing to be good or lost people becoming found? 
Am, am I celebrating more ongoing righteousness and ongoing good behavior and ongoing trust in God? All of that is important. But if more joy is produced in one act of repentance than in 99 ongoing acts of trusting God for righteousness, then it tells me something about the heart of God. It tells me that God is consumed with lost becoming found. Lost becoming found. And here's the reality, and I've seen this to be true in my life. When you have 99, the one doesn't matter until that one is someone you know. When you have 99, the one doesn't matter until that one is someone that you know. A couple years ago, our family went to Disney when our kids were much smaller. We have four kids. Cooper, Branson, and Tucker are the oldest. They're the three boys, and Kinley is the little girl. She's sick today. She's home, not feeling great, and so uh, she's the little girl. And so we went to Disney when they were a little younger, and we were leaving Disney. We were with my brother and his children, so we were having a big time. And so we were leaving the park. We had been the first ones, almost the first ones in the park that morning. We're leaving the park late in the day. We're getting everything through the turnstiles and getting the strollers packed up and all the things. We get up on the little trolley bus. It takes us to the first lot because we got there really early to one of the very first parking spots. We get off the trolley, and so Corey and my sister-in-law, Andrea, they're getting all the kids loaded in the car while my brother and I are loading the strollers and all the stuff that it takes to raise children these days. And so we're getting it all loaded in the car, and all of a sudden from the other side of the car, I hear Corey say, Tucker, come here, let me load you up. Well, if you know Tucker, some of you do, like the fact that she would have to call for him, not abnormal. Tucker makes friends with that pole right there. He can talk to anybody. I assume he's talking to people in the parking lot. Tucker, come here, buddy. Well, the second time she calls for Tucker, I start looking around. Is he on my side of the car? I mean, we're loading stuff in the trunk, and I don't see him. And so then the third time I hear a little panic in her voice, she says, Tucker, come here. I don't even wait. I just take off sprinting towards the front gate of Disney. I turned into Usain Bolt. I mean, I'm fast as lightning. I sprint fast. I get all the way to the gate. I jumped the bushes like an Olympic hurdler. I get to the little turnstile thing. I jumped that. You'll be happy to know Disney frowns on that. <laughs> so when my feet hit the ground inside the park, the security guards surround me. They're like, sir, stop. What are you doing? I was like, I've lost my son. They said, we have Tucker in the office. <laughs> you know Tucker? They're like, oh, we've known Tucker for a long time. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. <laughs> My brother, who was much lazier than me, did not run to the front gate. He just walked to the security guard eight feet away and said, hey, we've lost my nephew. His name's Tucker. He's a little blonde boy. They radioed ahead. Evidently, I didn't get there near as fast as I thought because I thought I got there in a hurry. Evidently, they had time to eat lunch with Tucker, and it was a lot of stuff. So I found him. Here's what I didn't do in that moment. I didn't go, you know what? We've still got three kids. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's, I mean, we loved him, but he's probably going to have more fun in there anyway. We'll just leave him. It'll be fine. No. No. Immediately, my heart gravitated to the one that was lost. When you have 99, the one doesn't seem that important. It doesn't seem that valuable until the one is someone you know. So let's keep looking. If I were to have coffee with you, here's what I would tell you. You need to have more friends that are lost. If you've got 99 friends and all of them love Jesus, you need to widen your circle because the heart of the Father beats for lost people. Then there's a second story in Luke chapter 15. It's not about sheep. It's about coins. And we keep reading here in verse 8. This is what it says. 
Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? This woman who lost a coin still had nine other coins in her possession. Now, I, I don't know what they were worth. I mean, the theologians and historians have tried to surmise what Jesus may have been talking about, but this wasn't a real story. It was a story he was telling to prove a point in a parable here that had a greater understanding. So he didn't say what kind of coins in that day and time. They could say, well, these are the kind of coins he might have been talking about. It doesn't matter. What we know is that she had ten coins in her possession, but at some point along the way, she lost one of those coins. Now, what we do know, separate from the sheep story, is that the coin did not wander off by itself, right? So she probably misplaced it. Something happened. She laid it down. She, she had nine other coins in her purse, and yet the value of that one coin was enough for her to neglect at that point, focusing on the nine coins she still had. And it occurs to me that perhaps God values things and people differently than I value things and people. Because I go, well, I got, I got nine. I mean, I still got nine, right? If you had ten quarters right now, you still have nine, but you look and you go, I guess I've dropped a quarter. I mean, you might look under your chair, but you're not going to have, hey, turn all the lights up. Can somebody bring me a broom? I'm going to sweep the room for my one lost quarter. But she did. And she sought diligently until she found it. I think what Jesus wanted us to know is that it's not the, responsible, not the responsibility of the lost to find themselves. We, we have to seek after those who are lost. We have to go to them. We have to search. I was having a conversation with somebody this past week, and we were discussing theology Theology is just the study of God, what you believe about God. And we were talking about that really difficult thing to understand about who God is. If God is loving and caring and righteous and holy and all of these great words, but if he's loving, then how in the world could God allow for people to spend an eternity apart from him and maybe to experience some type of punishment or hell or however you interpret the scriptures? That's what we believe, that God would, would allow that. He would, he, would, he would allow the story to play out that way. And, we were talking about that and trying to reconcile in our minds, and I was trying to challenge him on some things, and he was challenging me. And try, We were going back and forth and really having conversation about what does that say about God or what does that say about us? I'm trying to understand what that says. I remember a few years ago when I was still wrestling with that thought. Maybe some of you have wrestled with it. Maybe you still do. My pastor said it this way. I'd never heard it articulated this way. He said, why would God presume upon you an eternity with him when you have chosen life on earth apart from him. He said, why would God force you into an eternity with him when you've said, I want no part of you here? God's not going to do that. He gives you the choice to begin this eternal relationship with him now, and you're saying, I'm out. And so he doesn't force you to opt in. And so I try to reconcile, I try to think. How does that make sense in who God is? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. His son understands slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. And here's what I believe this tells me about God. It breaks God's heart more than it confuses my mind. It breaks God's heart more than it confuses my mind. 
that some people would choose to spend an eternity apart from him. He chooses for none. He desires none to perish, but all to find repentance. He's being patient, waiting on us to be obedient. And there will come a moment when we believe that it's too late. But today's not that day, thankfully. And so we can't just hope that lost things find themselves. We seek them out, and we point them with understanding and compassion and grace to a God who loves them immensely. That's our heart. That's our hope here. And we want to make it simple for you. We want to challenge you to, to help lead your friends and your family members into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We want you to help them to find and experience the love of God on their own. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, then we want to help you. We want to make it as simple as we can. And I'll make a deal with you. Here's what I'll do. You do what I can't do, and I'll do what you don't feel called to do. What you don't feel equipped to do. What you don't feel like you can do. So here's what I can't do. I can't know all your friends and family members. I can't. So I can't do that. But you don't feel like you can lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus. I'll try to help do that. Bring them to this place. Invite them to come and sit next to you. And I'll help try to illuminate the gospel to them and point them to Jesus Christ. That's what I'll try to do. So bring them here. In a couple weeks, we start our series at the movies, the first Sunday of October. At the movies for four weeks. And here's what I know. Some of you are going to hate it. But here's the reality. It's not really for you. I mean, it kind of is. You're going to enjoy it, I think. But it's not really for you. And so here's what I would tell you. You want to enjoy it even more? Have at least one or two of those Sundays where somebody sitting right next to you is lost. And help us preach, let us preach the gospel to them. You invite them to this place and allow us to point them to Jesus Christ. That's our heart. That's what we desire to do. So if we were having coffee, here's what I would tell you. We are thankful for everyone who's ever walked through the doors of Canton Church, but we are driven by everyone who hasn't walked through those doors yet. We're thankful for you and every person who's ever come to this place. We're so thankful for that. We celebrate it. We love you. We want to care for you well. We want to serve you well. But we are driven, driven, motivated, awake at night, tearful, prayerful, on our knees, for those who haven't come yet. It's what drives us. It's what motivates us. So if we were having coffee, that's what I'd tell you. And then there's this third story. This is probably the most famous story of the three. The first one was the sheep. The second was the coin. This one's the story of the lost son, or maybe the prodigal son. As you hear this story, you think about this story, I'll, I'll summarize it quickly for you. It's a father who has two sons, and one day at breakfast... The younger son says to the father, I want my inheritance. I want what's coming to me. In that culture, what that would be the equivalent of is saying, you're dead to me. I don't want to have a relationship with you for the rest of my life. I only want from you what you can provide to me, and then I'm out. To his credit, the father gives it to him. He gives him in his inheritance. The younger son leaves. Scripture tells us that he squanders all that he's been given on loose or wild living. Interpret that how you want to. One day he finds himself working for another man, tending his pigs, and he's down in the pig slop, feeding the pigs, and he's so hungry that he begins to eat the pigs' pods. And he comes to himself and he says, what in the world am I doing? There are people that work for my dad who have it better off than I have it right now. I know I can't be his son anymore, but I could just get a job. So he starts practicing the speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me as one of your hired servants. And he practices that speech all the way home. 
I'm going to go back and tell my dad, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me as one of your hired servants. And this is what it says in verse 20 of Luke chapter 15. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, put the best robe, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's more joy in heaven over one sheep than the 99. There's a woman who finds a coin and brings her neighbors. Probably had to spend the coin to pay for the party that she had with her neighbors over the coin that she lost and then found. And the father sees the son from a long way off. He runs to him, hugs him, puts a robe on him, puts his ring on him, which says, you're now my son again. Identity, purpose, affection, kisses him. Says, bring the fatted calf, let's... Let's not withhold any possession. Even though I've already given you possession, I'll give of my possession now to celebrate you coming home. Let's celebrate. And for some of us, as we hear that story, it's, it's an amazing story because we recognize ourselves as the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. We know we found ourselves one day in a pig pen. We were living in filth, living in slop. Like we can identify with that part of the story and we're like, thank you God for your grace. Thank you Father for accepting me back. Thank you God for another chance, for a second chance. But there's also a group of people in the room, you go, well that was never me. I mean, you know, I prayed a prayer one time or I was saved. I mean, I did some bad stuff, but not some real bad stuff. Maybe you don't identify as the prodigal son. Maybe you identify with the older brother. The one who didn't ask for his possessions, the one who stayed there and worked hard. Well, we, we hear the story of the older brother. He comes in from the field working all day, I'm presuming as he had worked every day while the younger son was having all his, his fun with squandering on loose living. He hears the noise and he asks the servant, he's like, what's happening? What, what's the party about? He's like, oh, it's so great. Your brother who was lost is found again. The one that we thought that was dead, he's alive. And so your father has killed the fatted calf, he's given him a robe, given him a ring, we're having a party. And the older brother says, what? He's never thrown me a party. Scripture actually says this, depending on your translation. It, it changes the animal in a couple of translations. He says to his father later, because the dad gets the word, he comes out. He's like, what are you doing? Come on in. Let's celebrate. And the older son says, I have been here the whole time working for you. And you haven't given me as much as a young goat. Insert your own platitude there. God, you don't, you don't recognize how righteous I am. God, you don't recognize how good I'm doing right now. Like, I, I, I got some, some stuff together. I'm, I'm getting this thing worked out. I figured it out how to serve you and work for you and go to church. I'm in a life group. I've been serving, giving. I haven't missed a Sunday. Well, I mean, I missed that one Sunday, but that was a tough Sunday. But I haven't missed a lot of Sundays. I've missed less Sundays than I've ever missed before. And God, you should recognize that. We should have a party about how righteous I am. And the dad says, no, no, listen, you've been with me the whole time. You're the 99. That's awesome. We celebrate that all the time, right? That's great. But my heart is that the lost would come home. I yearn for reconciliation. Like, I'm so thankful. You've been here all along. Everything I have is yours. But like, don't you get it? We thought your brother was dead. And he's not. 
We thought he was lost and he's found. It's, if there's anything worth celebrating, that's it. That's why I love Baptism Sunday. Because these people are saying that what Scripture tells us about baptism is that the old man dies away. And when they come out of the water, they are made new in Jesus Christ. It represents the new creation. That's worth celebrating. That's worth being excited about. There is no room for us to be self-righteous. And so if we were having coffee, I would ask you this question. It's a question I've been asking myself for the last couple of days. Are you more focused on your foundness or are you looking for lost ones? Are you more focused on your foundness? And my computer says that's not a real word, so bite me. <laughs> or are you looking for lost ones? Every lost one is somebody's someone. Maybe they're your someone. I just have to believe, and I'm, I'm adding to the story here. I don't think it changes the meaning. I have to believe that if the father saw the son a long way off, it wasn't the first time he looked for him. That every time he had to walk somewhere around the property, he might have just walked by the front porch to look down the road to see if today was the day. Every morning he had his cup of coffee sitting on the front porch just looking, hoping, praying, asking God. And he saw him a long way off, and he didn't even give his chance, his son a chance to finish his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer. Hush. He hugged him, he kissed him, he affirmed him, he gave him affection. And that's what the heart of the father does. So am I more focused on my foundness or on looking for lost ones? Here's what you need to know about this place. We are so thankful for every person who's ever walked through the doors of this church, but we are driven, driven by the faces and the names of the people who haven't come here yet. We want the heart of the Father, and we believe the heart of the Father beats for reconciliation, for the lost to be found, for the dead to come back to life in Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to celebrate baptism. In just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond in prayer. And after we do, I'm going to just step off the stage. And if you've registered to be baptized, you can meet me out here in this hallway. There'll be somebody to show you where to go. But maybe you didn't come today prepared to be baptized. Maybe you say, I, I don't know. But man, as you're talking, it's me. I hear it. It's my story. And, and there's no better time than the present. I want to be baptized today. I don't have clothes. We'll help you with some dry clothes. We'll give you a shirt or something, right? You're going to drive home wet. That's awesome. If you want to be baptized today, we would love for you to meet us right outside. We'll baptize you too. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I know I'm lost. And I'm asking God to help me to be found. I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I would like for God to do that work in me today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you so much. Now, if you'd say to me, Jeremy, for me, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to help lost people be found. I want to point lost people to Jesus Christ. I want to help God raise them from death to life. And so I don't want to focus so much on my foundness, but I want to look for lost people and help point them to God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? 
God, we love you today. We thank you. We thank you for every person that's lifted their hand in response to this message today. I thank you for those who are trusting you for salvation. I thank you, God, for those who are believing you to forgive their sins and be their Lord from this moment forward. God, we thank you that you do that and that you respond. And so, God, I ask you now that as there's a celebration in heaven, that we capture your heart and we celebrate life change here on earth as well. God, and I pray now for every person that lifted their hand to say, I want to help lost people be found. I want to point them to Jesus Christ. God, let us capture your heart. Let it be our heart. Let us not become self-righteous. Let us not become closed off. Let us not focus on who's already here, but let us keep an eye towards who's not here yet. God, I pray that you would help us to stay sensitive to the people around us who are not in relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 